0: Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Been a good service so far this morning. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise God. Um, I did want to mention for my brother, Tony, that I'm going with the black socks this morning. Tony was um, stretching himself this morning. He showed us in in pre-service prayer. He's got the multicolored socks on today. And I think that God's grace is with him to uh, help him walk in those socks today with whatever anointing those socks have. But uh, I appreciate you, Tony. And if you are not quite sure what the whole deal with socks is, today in my homework for the end of today, it'll be reviewing the message that he spoke about that. So you'll have an opportunity to to see that. So we are walking through Ephesians. A walk through Ephesians is the the title of the series that I'm kind of doing. It's an expository study of Ephesians where we are basically... We're basically just going through. We have done two other parts. We're on part three today, which is nice. And uh, we are going to cover chapter two, the first part of chapter two today. We've covered chapter one already and the introduction to Ephesians and what that's all about. Today's agenda, we're going to review some of the stuff we've talked about before. We're going to look at the overview of chapter two. We will get into the first section of chapter 2, and we'll cover two major points there, the primary positions and our powerful portion. Yes. Got some alliteration going on there. I feel the anointing of Pastor Earl coming on there with the alliterative. And it's not just the only ones. I've got some others coming up in the message, too. It's really good. So let's just pray and ask God to yes. be with us this morning. Lord, we thank you. So much that we have an opportunity to look into your word. Lord, we thank you so much for the deep, rich truth that is so abundant in Ephesians. And this passage of scripture that we look into today, we pray you would, you would enlighten our minds to understand it in a way that our natural mind cannot. Lord, let our spirits <laughs> grasp it. Lord, I pray you would use me and speak through me, anoint my thoughts and my words for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So as a review, the first thing I want to review is our key verse in Ephesians, which is Ephesians 1 verse 3. And I've left some words out of here. We reviewed this once or twice already, and it's been a few months. I get it. And by the way, I noticed the last time that I spoke I kept saying last week when I talked about this, when it was really like six weeks before, and I don't even know how long it's been. It's been a couple months at least since I spoke on this. But I say, if I ever say like last week, I mean the last time that I talked about this, okay? So just give me a little grace there. So the key verse here. So can you help me fill in the blanks here? Yeah. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. That's right. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, blessing in the... Heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's exactly right. Awesome. You guys are good. Next time I'll put up nothing and you'll just say the whole thing, right? Uh, Maybe. We'll see. Okay, so the key word in even this verse as we talk about it is heavenly. Heavenly is the key word in the verse because, as we've seen, the perspective of Ephesians so often is the heavenly perspective. It's God's perspective or the eternal perspective. And we'll see that repeatedly today as we get into what we're talking about. So that's super exciting. Okay, next one. We're going to just do a quick review of the structure of Ephesians. We've got the kind of the first half of the verse is doctrine, our riches in Christ with our spiritual possessions we've already covered. We're going to get into our spiritual position in Christ in chapters two and three. The last half of the the, of the book, It's Our Duty and Our Responsibilities in Christ, chapters 4, 5, and 6. We're into chapter 2 today, and I wanted to quickly review an illustration that I used last time. You know, I said, how do we break this down and make it real? So I kind of talked about how I see God God has given me uh, a picture of the Word of God being ammunition and when I have something down in my heart, that's ammo that God can use to address whatever situations I'm in. And we see this more when we get into the, the armor of God in chapter 6. I'm still looking forward to that. I don't know when we're going to get there, but it's going to be awesome. But this was from chapter 1, and we kind of talked about these. These are the, the promises that the believer has. And these are things that was also covered in kind of a cool picture that we had. It was kind of a treasure map. It was our identity in Christ, Identity Island. But that we're chosen. We have sonship, adoption, grace, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, understanding, predestination. We are included, sealed, and we have an inheritance. And I will tell you that God has even used this in my own personal life in the past couple months. I've used these to pray God, you've predestined them. Lord, you've included them. You've sealed them from the foundation. You are doing the work. They are chosen. They are adopted. You have grace and forgiveness. You can redeem. And i prayed those things. So I was thankful for this illustration. So just kind of that thing and I encouraged you to find a way to pull the word into something that, that really helps you to get it so you can own it. All right. And... As a teacher, which is my primary spiritual gifting, I like to make sure that we have the opportunity to follow up with what we hear. And so I've often given some opportunities for homework. So our homework for last time was read through chapter 1, 15 through 23 and rework Paul's prayer as a petition for yourself. Did anybody do that? Let me go back through there. Because it's Paul's prayer for the believers in Ephesians. All right. Uh, This is verse 17 and 18. This is just kind of how this kind of worked out. And uh, as I was thinking about it. Lord, please give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation that I may know you better. May the eyes of my heart be enlightened that I may know, one, the hope to which you've called me, the riches of my glorious inheritance, and your incomparably great power to me. So, you know, there's, there's a way that we can just, the word doesn't have to be just theological, high minded stuff, but we can break it down and we can use it and employ it for ourselves. The other thing here was read chapter two and take note of all the positional statements. How many did that? Chapter two? Looked ahead. Okay. I did, and we'll get to see them, so you're covered. All right, we're going to get there. That's good. Okay, let's take a look at the overview of chapter 2. Chapter 2 is our riches in Christ, and we are looking at our position in Christ, and there's two sections of chapter 2. We'll be covering the first one today, and the position that's there is, verses 1 through 10, is raised and seated on the throne, So that's what we will be covering today. So let's go ahead, and I've got three slides with the verses. I'll just read through those right now so that we all are kind of on the same sheet. I'm using New American Standard Version. I like that version. So let me just rabbit trail really quick. There are a lot of versions in English. We are blessed with a lot of versions. I grew up in an era where the King James Version was the version. Yes. In some instances, it was called the authorized version because it was the only real version of the word. And the King James is a beautiful version. And I learned, I memorized many, many scriptures in the King James, and I still love it. But I also really like of many other versions. The one that I probably read the most of, was the NIV version, and the New Living Translation is amazing, too. That's come out in more recent years, and that's really good. New American Standard, and I will say this about that, it is arguably one of the most accurate versions that is closest to the original languages in the way that it states it in English. So I kind of like that for study, and we're doing a study, so that's what we'll use. So in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And verse 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's some exciting stuff. So let's kind of go back through there and break that down kind of from start to finish. We're going to look at our primary positions in the first seven verses of this section. And I want to kind of reiterate that we are talking about in the context that this is redemption in light of eternity. We're talking heaven's perspective here. We saw that in our key verse And what we see when we're looking at heaven's perspective is from eternity, God can see all of time. He can see it all. And I've talked about this before, but time is linear. It's like a two-dimensional thing. It goes in a straight line from start to finish. In our temporal existence, we are on a timeline. And second by second, we progress along it day by day, year by year, until we reach the end of our life. And our life had a start and a finish, and that's our part of the timeline, and there is that. And then God looks at eternity from start to finish, and he can see all of it at once. And so we're going to see this, and we're going to see that the things that are spoken about in this passage, think of it from Genesis to Revelation. God is starting at the beginning, and some of the things we see are like, Echoes of the beginning, and some of them echoes of the end of eternity. So that's, it's pretty cool. But it's all an overview of the story of the redemption of mankind. Yes. Yes. Redemption of mankind. This is, this is the primary thing we're talking about, especially in the positions here. So the four primary positions that we see in these first few verses of the chapter. Number one, the first position I call six feet under. Six feet under. Because in verse 1 it says, And you were dead yes. in your trespasses and your sins. Yes. You were dead. And in the alliterative anointing that Pastor Earl has, has given us as part of that root stock, that foundational root and branch branches part of this church, I feel that there's an alliterative five D's. Of being six feet under, we'll talk about five D's of spiritual death. Now, the word death in this verse, in this passage, is in Greek it's necros. It, it means a dead, but it has the, the sense here that destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to God because it's given up in sins and trespasses. And so we've got two things here also that are in play. We've got Sins and trespasses. We're dead in our trespasses and our sins. Dead in our sins and trespasses. And those two words have two kind of ideas in Greek as well. Sins is harmatia, and it has the, the idea of innate corruption or alienation from God. It's missing the mark. And it's kind of that willful, you're supposed to go there, but you hit there. And there's, there's that, but then trespasses is a lapse or like the actual... If you break down the, the Greek word, it kind of means falling to the side, like it just fell off. It has this idea of a lapse or a fall. Some, we could even consider backslide as an English term, which kind of might mean that where you're supposed to go somewhere and you're just like pff, sliding back. You're not where you're supposed to be. You're not hitting where you're supposed to go. You're kind of missing the mark. And in that, this state, dead in our trespasses and sins, accurately describes Adam after the fall. In Genesis chapter three, Adam died spiritually. And when Paul is talking to the Ephesians and to us through this passage, he's talking about us and our portion of Adam's spiritual death. It's our legacy, our inheritance from Adam. Thanks a lot, brother. (laughs) That we are in a state of spiritual death until God does something with us. So we're dead in our trespasses and sins. In verse 2 it says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And my D here is disoriented. And the interesting thing that that I found about this is in the word walked in Greek here, it has this sense of Walking without purpose, yes. somewhat aimlessly, yes. meandering along, yes. and you're just kind of like not really having that firm direction, you're just kind of going where you go, because that's where you, water rolls to the lowest level, and you, that's kind of what you're doing, and you're doing it in the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And the course of this world, the idea is actually this age, as distinct from the age to come. Yes. This age from the age to come, heaven's perspective, it's looking at that section of time of unredeemed mankind to the time to come. So in this time frame, in this age, you're also under the according to the course of this world and the world there is the word Greek word cosmos we get cosmos from it. But it kind of has this idea of system or way things happen, way things operate. So in the way that this, this unredeemed world operates, you're just kind of meandering along. With, and the, the enemy is kind of the prince of the power of the whole thing. And you're just kind of under his influence. You're, just, you're disoriented. You're meandering along in the enemy's system. Yes. Our third D of being six feet under in verse 2 It says, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So disobedient and obstinate is our third D. Now, the interesting thing about this, sons of disobedience, it's only used twice in the word. And both of them are in Ephesians. In Ephesians 5 verse 6 It's the other reference. It says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And this disobedience, the word here has the sense of obstinacy, obstinate opposition to divine will. And it's just kind of like this. You can't make me do it. You can't tell me what to do. Raise fist. Just kind of, no. No. I'm gonna do my own thing. We're kind of meandering along on the enemy's cosmos. Like, no, God, you're not gonna tell me what to do. You're dead in our transgressions. The fourth D, being sixteen under, is depraved. Depraved. Verse three: Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind. And here we kind of see that if you look back at Genesis again, from the fall of man and Adam is expelled from the garden and out of God's presence, you kind of see things start to deteriorate throughout Genesis. Cain and Abel, right? And they're both direct descendants of Adam and one of them murders the other one. And then you kind of go on and things get worse and worse and worse until you get to, to Noah. And this is just that when I read this, this thought, this verse just resonated with me. Genesis 6, 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yes, yes. The unredeemed mankind, dead in their sins, they're meandering along disoriented they're obstinate, but not only that, they're now depraved. Depravity and the indulging of the flesh and mind, it's just that's all you give yourself over to. And you're not a believer. When you're a sinner, the only thing you look forward to is having fun sinning. And whatever that fun is, as fun as it gets, quote unquote, it often leaves ashes in your mouth rather than a pleasant aftertaste, right? And that's where, where mankind was. And what was the ultimate result in Noah's day? God saw they were all evil. Yeah. I'm done with them. Okay, I got a remnant. I'll pull them out and keep them. But we're going we're gonna to start over. So that's where we see kind of the next one coming, the, the last D of six feet under. In verse 3, and we're by nature children of wrath. And here we see doomed. We were doomed to be children of wrath all the way to that point from disoriented, too obstinate, too depraved, we are now doomed. The consequence is God's wrath. Adam's consequence was expulsion from the presence of God. He was kicked out of the garden. An angel with a flaming sword was put to guard the gates. Adam had spiritual death. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what God's word was, right? But he ate of it, and he didn't die physically. He died spiritually. And that sin nature was put in there. Then we see in Noah's generation, the consequence was a universal flood that destroyed mankind. It's interesting, this phrase, children of wrath. Jameson Fawcett Brown. Is an amazing commentary, great study reference. Talk about this phrase. It's the object of God's wrath from childhood in our natural state as being born in the sin which God hates. It's like that innate part of us that because we are Adam's seed, we're his offspring, we are innately children of wrath. We're born into this doomed, this object of God's wrath because he cannot abide sin. Mankind in their innate state are doomed to eternal damnation. Two other phrases I thought were interesting that show the same idea in 2 Samuel, son of death, and in John 17, son of perdition. It's all that same idea of children of wrath. So, we're dead, we're disoriented, we're disobedient, we're depraved, and we're doomed. That's our first position. Now, fortunately, God doesn't leave us there. So the second position of our four positions is resurrected. We were dead, but now we're resurrected. Verses four through five, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions has made us alive together with Christ yeah. he has made us alive together with Christ we were dead that whole period the whole epic eon cosmos of being unredeemed and dead we as believers are now made alive and that is exciting and you see that there's two kind of factors here going on in these verses mercy and grace and mercy and grace, mercy is not getting what we deserve. Yes. We deserved punishment. Yes. We deserved justice. Yes. We deserved damnation. But God's mercy doesn't execute that judgment against us. Yes. Yes. Grace yes. is getting what we don't deserve. Yes. Grace says, I am making you alive again. Spiritually alive. Your spiritual death is done. You are resurrected. And we'll see more of this coming, grace, coming. So, mercy lifted the sentence of destruction and grace gifted us salvation. We are raised from the spiritual grave of death even as Christ was raised from the dead. So, we were dead in the grave. Now the grave's open and we're out. Our third position is in verse 6. And he raised us up with him. Yeah. So not only were we dead and now out of the ground, the grave's open. Jesus hung around hung around for how many days after he rose? 40 days? 40 days, right? Now we are raised up. And the idea is what he did on the Mount of Olives and when he ascended. So now we're being lifted out of that earthly realm, out of that old cosmos, out of that old system. We are being raised from there. We are being lifted to a new place. And our fourth position that we see in verse 6 is, and he has seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Out of the grave, alive again, raised up, and now in the heavenlies where Christ is. Chapter 1 has a verse that's almost identical, 120, and it's about Christ himself, when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenlies. So Paul says that about Jesus in chapter one, now he's saying that about us. He's raised us up with Christ in the heavenlies. So we are there, and in Colossians 3.21, therefore you've been raised up with Christ Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And Revelation 3.21 says, And the believers shall share his throne. So it's almost like where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we are there with him through his atonement and through it's some whole spiritual thing that sometimes my tiny mind can't quite wrap around. But that's how God sees it. Remember, eternal perspective. He sees mankind... It's going from this dead state into a state of being one with God. Yeah, yeah. Being one with God and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Right there. That's, that's powerful. Yeah. 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 Believers, we have that same redemption applied and we are brought on the same path that Christ did. Christ was dead. He was in the grave. He rose. he seated in the heavenlies. Believers were dead in the grave, were made alive, raised in the heavenlies. So that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So those are the kind of four primary positional statements that I wanted to pull out. Now I'd like to talk a little bit more in the final verses of chapter two on our powerful portion. And in the powerful portion, I'm really kind of talking about our our destiny and what God has for his people. He kind of starts to allude that. This was our state. This is where we're being put. Now, what are we doing? Kind of where, where things are. And in verse 8, it says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And God kind of gave me this picture of this verse and and this truth that kind of breaks down. And we're going to take a look at that in the next few slides. There's four points. First one is gift. It is the gift of God. And so I have this ribbon to kind of indicate that it's a gift, right? And the... The word gift here in Greek is doron, and it has this idea also of sacrifices offered to God or money given in temple treasury. And when we talked about Ephesians in the beginning, in the introduction, we talked about a major temple that was in Ephesus. Does anybody remember what temple was in Ephesus? Diana. Temple to Diana, right? One of the major Greek gods. And it was a major center of worship. The people in Ephesus, in that region, understood temples. They understood, the mon- they understood all that and the money that was raised and stuff that was given there. They, they had this concept. What's flipped on its head here is where the gift is coming from and where it's going. It's not being given to God or the temple. It's God giving it to us. Yes. God has given us, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's love causes him to want to gift us, to give us that. And the, the thing he gives us in this verse, the second point is grace. For by grace you have been saved, and that not of yourself. And grace, I've got it pictured here kind of as a key to unlock something, to let us get somewhere. And grace, of course, a, a really a nice acronym to kind of remember it is God's riches at Christ's expense. I know I've got that from Pastor Earl too. Thank you <laughs> for your heritage. God's riches at Christ's expense. God's giving us grace to allow us to unlock the third one, faith. And faith is the way through. Faith is how we get through there. And I had the picture of a door. and I also kind of used this idea of a gate And without grace, you can't access the faith. You can't get through it. It would be closed. We wouldn't have enough faith. We wouldn't be able to step through faith. We wouldn't be able to walk in faith to get through there. But God gave us grace to have the faith to go through. It's a doorway. And Romans makes it very clear, and a number of other scriptures in the New Testament as well, that faith is what we're justified by. Faith. Faith is how we access salvation. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But we are justified by faith. And then the fourth one is salvation. So now we see that God's gift of grace has activated faith and allows us into salvation, allows us into that that point where he wanted. The cool thing about this is that we are no longer banished from the garden. We are no longer Shut out from God's promises. We're no longer excluded from His presence. Yes. There are no angels with flaming swords preventing us from entering into that yes. any longer. Hallelujah. We are now welcomed yes. into our eternal portion. Yes. From that unredeemed state, now we're entered into to there. God's gift of grace through faith gives us salvation. That's verse 8. Verse 9 breaks it down. And it also just kind of reminds us. It's like, oh, yeah. And in case you were wondering, hey, it's not as a result of works so that no one may boast. It's a gift of God, not of works. Not of works. And the thing is that in our natural minds, we kind of sometimes think, well, you know, I'm a good person. Or if I do something good, that's going to earn me brownie points in heaven or a lot of the world religions and philosophies say well you just need to let the good outweigh the bad in your life right. and when you come before judgment if your good is greater than your bad then you'll be okay but if you're a bad person then so sorry or maybe the philosophy humanism oh everybody is innately good Mankind is good. Everybody wants to be good. Everybody should be good. They're all basically, they're basic, everybody's a basically a good person inside. But you get the idea of works and no, no, no. God's saying, hey, it's not works. And he gave us the whole New Testament and all of the rules and regulations of the law to prove that works wouldn't do it that even if you live by every jot and tittle of the law and you didn't walk more than 10 steps on the Sabbath and you you divided your, your mustard into a 10th portion and gave that and you did all these things according to the regulations of the law, even then their works are not it. Yeah. It's not it. It's God's gift. It's God's grace that gives us salvation. Yes. In the eternal View, the law and abiding by every aspect of it didn't bring salvation. That's very evident in Romans as, as you look at that too. So verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are his workmanship. Workmanship literally means a thing of his making or handiwork. Here, the spiritual creation and it's interesting because you kind of got, it's not by works. We are his workmanship, and we're created for good works. And so there's this kind of, kind of series. And works were the things we tried to do on our own. And workmanship is a thing created, and that comes out of work maybe. But we are that. And then good works. Good works is never used in conjunction with ph- Fulfilling the requirements of the law. Those works that we try to do in our natural self, never in the Greek is is good works ever used in that sense. Good works always is used in the sense of what God calls us to do and God is doing through us. As God has asked us to be his hands and feet and to touch the world, those are the good works. And those are what he has created us for and prepared us for beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are his workmanship, created for good works. And the cool thing, this time, as we operate in his new system, we're no longer meandering aimlessly through life. This time, we are not growing thorns outside of the garden by the sweat of our brow. This time, instead, we are building the kingdom of God with him. Yes. So when he looks from eternity, from eternity's perspective, he sees unredeemed mankind with judgment and destruction on them. But through God's transforming power and through Christ and the grace that he's given, we are now fulfilling our purpose once again. What was God's charge to man in the very beginning? In Genesis. Fill the earth and said, do it. Take dominion over it. He had mankind to be his agent upon the earth to extend his kingdom. The garden was never supposed to stay in one place. It was supposed to become global in Genesis. And now he's called us to come in and given us the work once again in our redeemed state to work with him and execute his good works, his workmanship what he's called us to. Mankind has been restored to God's original purpose. That's some powerful stuff. Some good stuff. I'm loving Ephesians so far. I don't know about you. Um, If the worship team would would like to uh, come on up, got a couple more slides here. So next time, whenever that is, because we don't have this program down to an exact schedule, but at some point I will, the next time I speak, we'll be talking about the rest of chapter two. So here's your homework. Uh, read back through chapter two verses one through 10. It's been hard. Then this is the, this is a good one. Review Tony's message on unity from November 10th. We've got that in the podcast on SoundCloud. You can access that through our website Tony's message, he basically preached my message next time using the, the whole unity on the second chapter of Ephesians, the second part of the second chapter of Ephesians, second part of chapter two. And it is powerful. I would, I want to review it three or four times before then because Tony's word was so amazing. So review that. That would be awesome. And I will probably springboard off of that a bit next time when I speak. And finally, as I close out, some reflections on our position portion. So, we've kind of talked and kind of gone through this eternal perspective and some kind of big theological concepts, but where does it kind of break down for us? Have you ever felt like you don't deserve God's love? Have you, do you ever feel like you can't be good enough to be saved? Have ever questioned your salvation? Maybe you never have, but maybe you've talked to somebody who has. Oh, I, I accept you, but I just can't be saved. I, I've done stuff that's too bad. Or I, I'm not good enough. I, I can't be saved. But what does heaven's perspective say about that? What is heaven's perspective? When we accept Christ, we are now Seated with him in the heavenlies. That's what God sees. He sees it all. Yeah, we were there, but no, this is where we are. If you ever struggle with those thoughts, if you ever struggle with, man, I'm such a sinner. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to do it. I'm never going to be good enough. Let these truths start to work on you. No, no, I am chosen, I am predestined. He adopted me. I'm his child, his son or daughter. From the foundation of the world, he predestined me for salvation. Now, now, he sees me as saved, completely removed from the old system. Let those things take deep root in our spirits. Uh, I don't have any heavy altar call or response, but we'll sing... Sing a song as we close out our service. If you do want to come up, you're welcome to come up and pray. Uh, People will be willing to pray for you. But just be encouraged. As we look into God's Word, He can do so much. And even the truths that we've seen can be so powerful in our lives if we let them activate. I just want to pray. Lord, we just thank you for the incredible truth that we've gone through today. Lord, that we thank you that you didn't leave us there in the grave, dead in our trespasses and sins, but that you redeemed us, that you raised us, that you see us as a whole new creature and creation, and God, that you have restored us to your original purpose. Help us be mindful of that, especially when we struggle or when we we meet somebody that just doesn't get it, and they need to understand, Lord, give us the words, Lord, let your thoughts be quickened in our hearts, Lord, let these things grow up in our hearts, Lord, and become foundational and part of who we are, we thank you for this, we thank you for your word, and your anointing that's on it, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast.